Now, you can take your bulletin and turn to the passage that we're going to read from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. It's been in there for like three weeks, so you should be pretty familiar with it by now. I'm going to read it in just a minute after I make a couple of comments, but just have it ready to, to read. 1 Peter was obviously written by Peter, and it was, it was written to believers who may have looked like a group of scattered refugees. They were nobodies, they were outcasts from the world, but to God, they were his royal priests. They were God's own people. And so are you. The people that Peter wrote to needed to know that, and you need to know that too. So here's what Peter said, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. But you are a chosen race or a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Just before these verses, Peter had said, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, chosen and precious in the sight of God. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, but will receive honor from God. But to those who do not believe, Jesus will be a stone of stumbling. And the Jews rejected him at his coming, and the unbelieving world down to this day has rejected and stumbled over Jesus. And in verse 8, Peter said, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is what they were destined for, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are God's special possession. This contrast is stunning. This is the world. This is you. They are one thing. You are another you are radically different from the rest of the world. True honor and glory and status are not found in the world, but you have it in God. And like Jesus, you may be rejected by the world, you may be marginalized by the world, but you are precious and chosen by God. Those to whom Peter wrote were suffering as Christians. Uh, perhaps their property was confiscated like it talks about in the book of Hebrews. There's internal evidence in the book of Peter's that in the book of Peter that some may have been beaten. Uh, we know they were verbally abused. They were spoken of as evildoers. They were pushed to the outskirts of their culture and society. But Peter comes along and in this passage he he reminds them powerfully of their status with God. And he does that because who we are in God 
fortifies us against the opposition, the rejection, and the hostility of the world. Who we are in God acts as a bulwark of protection against the world. And so Peter urged them to continue to be different from the world. He said, live as strangers or foreigners and exiles in the world. Don't conform to the world. Don't compromise with the world. You are God's own special people. You have been called out of the darkness of the world into God's marvelous light. So for believers, the world is a, a spiritual threat or danger that must be overcome. And I see two main ways the world is a threat to us. And Peter helps us powerfully with both of these. First, the world can simply wear us out or wear us down by its opposition and, and the way that it stigmatizes us and marginalizes us. Jesus prepared us for that. He said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. So many Christians are insecure and depressed because they are still looking to the world for acceptance and a sense of significance. Or we become angry because we feel we don't have a voice or we feel like the world doesn't listen to us. But remember, Jesus said it would be that way. The world rejected Christ. Don't long to be a part of that which rejected Christ. Don't long to be accepted by that system which rejected Christ. Don't seek to win your acceptance and gain your sense of acceptance from that which turned their back on Christ and crucified Him. You will never please the world enough, no matter how much you compromise to try to make yourself acceptable to the world. You will never please the world unless you gave up Christ completely. How much better it is to learn deeply who you are in God and be satisfied in that. And not be, just be satisfied in that, to be thrilled about that. To be happy in that, rejoicing in that, no matter what the world does to you or says to you. So the world is that collective hostility toward God's people. It is all that stands against the church. But the world is also that attraction or pull away from God that appeals to our human pride and passions, which, as Peter says, wage war against our souls. And I want to look more deeply at both aspects of the world, but right now I especially want to look at this aspect of the world that, that tugs and pulls our hearts away from God. And when I began working on this message a month ago, <laughs> three weeks ago, um, this is really what God put on my heart. And he kind of expanded it and changed it around, but uh, this is something that I felt God really put on my heart to share with us as a church. The world 
is a very subtle enemy because it makes inroads into our lives and into the church without our even knowing it. It is like the Trojan horse in Greek mythology. It looks like this big, great, beautiful gift to our lives, but in the end it becomes the means of our destruction. C.S. Lewis warned that uh, prosperity can knit our hearts to the world without us hardly knowing it. And he said, while we think we are making our place in the world or we think we're making our mark in the world, the world is really making its home in us. And we don't even know it. The world is the territory or tool that Satan uses to seduce believers away from a simple or single-minded and pure devotion to Christ. Two of the very strongest warnings to Christians in the New Testament are warnings about the world or against the world. James wrote, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. John said, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's 1 John 2, 15 and 16. The the NLT calls these three elements of the world a craving for physical pleasure, which would include sexual pleasures that are outside the bounds of God's plan for sex between a married man and woman, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. The the world is that, that value system that that tells you that screams at you day and night that life is all about your personal pleasure and possessions and personal achievements. That's what the world says matters. The world is the the values and the beliefs in our culture that are opposed to God. Paul warned believers to be aware or to beware of the wisdom, what he called the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of this age. 2 Corinthians 2.19 and 3.6. The wisdom of this age is the dominant way of thinking of the world around us. How easily we are conformed to the thinking of this world and it just, it breaks my heart when I see uh, Christians and especially when I see good Christian kids from good Christian homes go out to school or go off to college, I'm not saying every one of them does, thank God, but it breaks my heart when I see kids go out in the world and, and get conformed to the spirit of the age, to the wisdom of the world, to the values of the world, and before before you know it, their hearts don't belong to Christ anymore. And it's not just young people. It happens all around us 
And we, it's, it's, that's, that's why we're warned so strongly, so severely against it uh, by James and John. And Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The wisdom of the world comes at us from all directions. A religious editor of a secular newspaper pointed out that, and I don't even think this guy's a believer, but this is so true. More theology is conveyed in and probably retained from one hour of television than from all the sermons that are also delivered on any given weekend in America's churches. God help us. We, you know, we can watch a sitcom or a movie without even being aware how anti-God and how anti-Bible the message, how worldly it is. The question for us as believers is, where's our loyalty? Is it to God or the world? Is it to the scriptures or to the wisdom of the age? What a, whose assessment of things do you really trust? Uh, what is it that influences your thinking, your perspective on life, your priorities, your thoughts about morality and money, family and church? Is it God or is it the wisdom of the age? The one persistent sin of God's people all through the ages has been adultery with the world. Israel wanted a golden calf. They wanted the Asherah poles and all the different kind of idols that were in the Old Testament in the surrounding nations. They, they wanted that stuff. They wanted to worship like that because the people of the world had idols like that and they wanted to be like the world. They wanted a king because the other nations had kings and they were not satisfied to have God alone as their king. They even adopted the practice of sacrificing their children in the fire to the God of Molech because that is what the rest of the world was doing. That's what the nations around them were doing. The pressure to conform is intense. The temptation to be seduced by it, to fall to it, is enormous. Throughout history, the world's ideas have always infiltrated to some degree not only individual believers' lives but into the church. The world has distorted our understanding of what church is and what our message is and what kind of people we are to be. And today the, the church can just start to look like a business or sound like a business or an entertainment center or uh, simply an organization like any other organization. A writer that I've shared a few quotes from, his name is Dick Staub, said, At one time, churches sought out thoughtful biblical teachers to serve as pastors, but now they recruit entrepreneurs and magnetic personalities, and I would add entertainers and comedians. He said, We need fewer entrepreneurs and more pastors who actually know God deeply. Francis Schaeffer said, Tell me what the world is saying and I will tell you what the church will be saying in seven years. And that's how pervasive the influence of the world is. And you, if you look at culture, 
over the past whatever, 20, 30 years or even 5, 10 years, you can just see that. Whatever the world is saying, boy, in just a few years, at least many churches are saying the same thing and it's just it, the world just seeps its way into our lives. It just seeps its way into the church and the church sadly puts up with it and it grieves the Lord. Our memory text from 2 Corinthians 6 asks, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Just before that it says, what has fellowship with, with, of light with darkness? Essentially, what fellowship do believers have with the world? The, the, the Corinthians were cozying up to the world and compromising with the world. And Paul said, what are you doing? You're the temple of the living God. Your, your very lives are a sacred space for God. That's the same, it's true of the church too. This church, this gathering of people, we together are a sacred space for the dwelling of God, not for the world to influence us and have its way in us or with us and over us. We are a dwelling place for the living God. Paul said, therefore, go out from the world. Go out from among them. Do not touch the uncleanness of it. You are God's sons and daughters. And it's essentially what, what Peter is saying. And I, so I, you might ask, well, what does all this have to do with 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10? Well, it has everything to do with it. It's exactly what Peter is saying. Our bulwark of protection against this world is knowing and enjoying and being enthused about our status in God. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own possession or God's own special possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We get seduced by the world because we want to be somebody. The world plays to our desires to find a purpose, to have status, to be significant, to belong to a group. But God has given us those things through Jesus. We are somebody. We are God's holy people. We do belong to a group. We are the people of God. We matter to God. We belong to God. We don't need the world to tell us we're important. We don't need the world to give us a sense of significance. We don't need the world to give us a sense of belonging. We don't need the world to make us feel special or significant or accepted. The status and blessings and privileges we have in Jesus are far better than anything the world offers. Gerhard Terstegen said, All the glories of earthly kings and princes are only vain shadows in child's play compared to the glory of a heart filled with the Spirit of Christ. We need to believe that. Peter said, you are a chosen people. And we're going to go over just one by one these things that Peter says we are. You are a, a chosen race or a, a chosen generation, a chosen people, I think is the idea of it. 
God chose you to be his people because he loved you. Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, The Lord did not set his heart on you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, but because the Lord loved you. He chose you because he loved you. We are not loved because we are special. We are special because we are loved by God. You are a royal priesthood. We are part of God's royal family. We are royalty in God's eyes. We are going to someday reign over the earth. We are going to rule with Christ on his throne. We're going to judge the nations. We're going to judge angels. I mean, God has a very exalted position for us as believers in our future. And we need, we need to understand that. We need to know that about ourselves. We are priests to God, royal priests. Spurgeon, uh, quoting Re- Revelation 1.5, and this is probably King James Version, but he, 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 Spurgeon was quoting Re- Revelation 1.5, and he said, Jesus loved us and released us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Spurgeon said, this seems to be an honor which is far too high for us. It appears to bring us almost too near to the Lord. And yet it is not so. For Peter wrote, under divine inspiration, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So whether a janitor, a corporate officer, a missionary, a stay-at-home mom, a retired person... Uh, Single or married, young or old, we all have the same high honor as royalty, royal priests before God. We are, every one of us, we are all directly connected to God through the work of Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit. No matter who we are or what we are in this world or what we have in this world or what we don't have in this world, we have a uniquely intimate relationship with God that the world does not have. That's the privilege that we have as a royal priesthood. We can approach God. We can live life with God. We can walk and talk with God. We can go to God directly as the royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You belong to God who is holy and he washed us from our sins in his own blood and declared us holy. So we are, we are God's holy people. We are God's holy nation. Together we are a holy nation in order to reveal God's holy presence in this world. And then you are God's own possession or several translations say you are God's own special possession. Now for the older folks here like me, Uh, We learned this verse as we are God's peculiar people. That's what the the old King James said. Uh, We're peculiar people. Of course, that word uh, has come to mean something different than it did when it was originally translated that way in the King James. It 
today peculiar means odd or weird. And I guess in a way we are that. But that's not what Peter meant. Uh, the, world meant the word meant specially chosen or a costly possession that we belong. We're, we're God's own possession. Uh, the New King, King James Version, the NIV and many others uh, correctly say, I think, his own special people. Deuteronomy 14.2 in the ESV says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, out of all the billions of people on the earth who've ever lived through all the millennia that the earth has existed, that people have been on the face of the earth, Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God has chosen you to be his treasured possession. You know, at Christmas time, uh, Olivia saying, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And I love that. There's an older version of that song that I used to hear when I was growing up. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. And he cares for you because you are his treasure. And I'm telling you, you won't get that kind of affection out in the world. The world will it'll try to pull you into it, but the world doesn't care for you like that. They'll influence you, they'll seduce you, but they don't care for you. They'll, they'll throw you away. Verse 10, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Interesting verse. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. It makes it sound like you were once nothing or a nobody or once you had no special identity and I, I think that's true but we were actually worse off than that this is taken from Hosea 2:23, which says I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one okay l listen carefully what he's what he's saying I will I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Peter is saying that we were once outside the circle of God's loved ones. We were once not God's loved ones, but now we are God's loved ones. Once we were not a people, once we did not belong to the people of God, but now God says, you are mine. You are my own people, and I love you. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We once stood in a place where we were condemned for our sins, and yet now we stand in a place of mercy. God's mercy is ours in abundance forever. Webster's New World Dictionary defines mercy as a refraining from harming or punishing offenders. And that's actually a pretty good definition of mercy. You know, we were, we were offenders of God. And in his mercy, God has refrained from harming us or punishing us. We stand in this place of mercy. Mercy is a kindness in excess of what may be expected or demanded by fairness. I, I really like that. It's an it's an excessive kindness that we're shown beyond what we deserve. And then Peter said, you have these privileges 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his mar marvelous light. So once we understand who we are, once this gets a grip on our heart and we become satisfied with this honor and status and privilege that we have, once it, once not only that we, that we hear it and know it, but we, we become satisfied with this and actually enthused about this and thrilled about this, then what do we do? We proclaim the excellencies of the one who did this for us. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're, so we're eager to talk about God's goodness and his mercy to us. We were in darkness, now we are in God's marvelous light. We are not feeling sorry for ourselves. We are not thinking how good the world has it out there. Not at all. We carry this sense of immense blessing and we want others to know that. This is our mindset. We are a blessed people. We are honored. We are privileged. And so that's how we talk. We declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his life. Then with our privileges and blessings in, in full view, Peter said, now don't defile yourselves with worldly passions that would damage your soul. Verse 11, dear friends, dear friends, in, in light of these privileges, in light of this massive honor that you have, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Many things that the world says are normal and acceptable will damage your soul. Anger is not good for your soul. Sexual immorality of every sort is not good for your soul. The world gives us, feeds us its philosophy and says, uh, promote yourself, um, do whatever you want to do. Don't let anybody tell you what to do, especially God. That's not good for your soul. It damages your soul, the sense of, the sense of independence, the sense of, of isolation, that we're just our own man or our own woman and we do things our way. Uh, we're, we're isolated from God and from the people of God and we just go live life on our own. It damages your soul. But notice that he says, abstain as foreigners and exiles. I urge you as, I think the, the ESV says sojourners. You know, I, I've been through the New American Standard, the King James, the NIV, now kind of the ESV. I, I know a lot of my quoting of verses just kind of meshes a bunch of them together. I think the ESV calls sojourners and exiles. But the, the idea is that we're foreigners or pilgrims, strangers. And so uh, Peter says abstain as foreigners, and exiles. 
we consider ourselves foreigners to this world because, because we belong somewhere else, right? We consider ourselves foreigners and exiles because we belong to God and to his people and his kingdom. And it is, it is actually, I mean, sometimes I think this sounds bad, maybe especially for, I think, maybe for young people who are such a passion to fit in and be accepted and liked and everything. And I don't want to be a pilgrim. I don't want to be a stranger or a foreigner. But it is our favor and status with God that makes us aliens and strangers here. We, we aren't strangers here because we're worse off than the world. We're strangers here because we're better off than the world. Uh, the world might pity us, but we do not pity ourselves. We are citizens of a better country. We are citizens of a better place with better pleasures. And that's why we abstain from the worldly passions that would wage war against our soul. You remember from Hebrews, Moses says he considered it better to identify with God's people than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, it was, it was understanding his status and the privilege of being part of God's people that made Moses say no or to abstain from the fleeting pleasures of sin. It says that he regarded disgrace for Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. This is so important because when our hearts are saturated with the glory of our wealth and status in Jesus, we don't wander off into the world. It's when we lose this sense of blessing that we become vulnerable to the, the pull, the seductive pull of the world. You know, Paul said to, to the, the, the Galatians, he was really concerned about him, and he said, guys, where is that sense of blessing you had? Because he knew when they lost that sense of blessing, they were vulnerable to error and to the world and to all the stuff that they were in danger of falling into, the legalism and all of that stuff. Where is that sense of blessing you had? We need to have that and know that. Our identity or who we are or what we are is, is a big issue for most of us. It just is. So we, there, There's sort of a cry in our hearts to know who we are. And we try to understand who we are by what our family says or what the world says or what our job or our possessions say about us. But the world can give us a false sense of security and pride or it can make us feel insignificant and useless. But we can only find our true and lasting secure identity in God and who we are in God. And if you know, this is the message this morning, if you know who you are in God and are satisfied with that, enthused about that and thrilled about that 
That will protect you against the world and everything that it brings at you. It will protect you against, it will, it will protect you against the discouragement from the rejection of the world and, and the world's attempts to diminish you and silence you. It will protect you against the pressure of the world to conform to its way of thinking, to its values, and it will protect you also from the sinful passions of the world. All right, let's stand. So who are we? Amen. Let's say it. We are God's own special people. We are God's own special people. A royal priesthood. A, ho a holy nation. Amen. That has to become the way that we think about ourselves. And that mindset is a bulwark of protection against the world. Let us, let us respond to what Peter said to us this morning in God's word. Father.